Hello and welcome to Rear View, the show where we get to chat to fascinating people from the motoring universe and learn how they got to where they are today. Hello, I'm Andrew and this is episode 3. For this show, I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by Johnny Edge. Without further ado, I shall move straight on to our conversation where he introduces himself better than I am able to. Welcome to this edition of Rear View and I am delighted to have another podcaster on. Now that's a very rare thing to say in the motoring world. <laughs> Hopefully this will expand, there will be more podcasters turn up because I think it's a viable and an excellent medium. But um, good evening to Mr. Johnny The Edge of Smooth Traffic. Good evening, Andrew. I'm I'm really delighted to be the first podcast. I just feel really special right now. You are really, special really special. Oh, well, yeah. Thank you very, very much. <laughs> For anyone who doesn't know you, and shame on them, could you please give yeah. us a quick uh, introduction into who you are, what you do, etc., that's connected with the motoring world? Yeah, I can I can give them a brief introduction. I'm a freelance motoring writer slash journalist. I get paid for it, so I don't know whether I can call myself a journalist or not now. Let's just say writer. Let's let's leave it at that. And uh, also, as you've said, I present the Smooth Traffic podcast as well. So you know, I'm I you know I do a bit of this, bit of that. And geezer. Uh, who who do you write for? Um, I write mostly for other writers, believe it or not, because um, there's so much going on in the motoring world that I, they often can't be in two places at once. So when that comes along, um, who are they going to call? Um, sometimes me. And then I have to go off and do um, just be there for them, basically, do the pictures, do the videos, do the cars, do the writing, all of that kind of thing. And then um, I normally just bundle it all off, stick to my brief. I've normally got a brief to stick to about what they need, what kind of things they're aiming for. And then, um, yeah, I drop it off to them um, a bit later on after I've had um, time to get back home, sit down with the laptop, have a couple of glasses of red, and um, normally it comes back pretty good, actually. So, yeah, I mean, I did um, I did used to write for a couple of blogs as well. I've done a bit for Petrol Blog uh, with Gav. I've done a bit for Driving Spirit with Chris Orty when that was, um, when that was up and running. Um, yeah, I've I've done a little bit here and there. I did Focus RS for the Yorkshire Times, for example, because mm-hmm. um, Andy at the Yorkshire Times couldn't get to that particular event. So um, I, I go where I go where I'm needed, really. And often I'll turn up on a launch, and um, someone will go, "Oh, there's this coming up. I can't make it. Do you want to go?" And I'll be like, "Yeah, all right." It's just like that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, and that's just what I do, basically. And obviously, smooth traffic's just on the side as a bit of a fun project. We have a bit of a laugh with that. And, um, yeah, it's not much more to it, really. Just have fun. Just enjoy yourself. Okay. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Now, um, I want to find out when did you first – this is a question I ask everybody, mm. and it's, it's a little bit cliched, but when, when did you first realise you were getting interested in cars, and do you remember who helped you along that interest, if anyone did? Um. Well, cars for me happened at a very, very early age, um, possibly at an age so early. It's when you're first learning how to make memories, which is, you know, incredibly early in life. I used to fall asleep as a as a toddler with with cars in my hands. Um, apparently, obviously, I don't remember that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but and yeah, I used to go to um, motoring races on uh, the Isle of Anglesey, where we used to live, me and my family at the time. Um, my father used to take me along to motocross events at um, what was then Tecroix, I think the name was, but now is Anglesey Circuit. Mm-hmm. They've had a bit of a rebrand up there. Um, 
at three years old, apparently I could walk down the street and name just about every car in the street. And uh, my mother would just not believe me until she started actually checking what I was was telling her and turned out I was right. So, um, yeah, the cars, it's just they've just always been there. They've just always, always been there. And I've got very early memories of watching Formula One on, on TV. And I don't actually know when that was. I can just remember sometimes like I'll go and watch a bit of classic F1 on, on the YouTube or on, you know, your other Internet media player of, of choice. And um, I, I can remember seeing that before. But that must have been when I was probably three, four years old, because I probably wouldn't have seen it since. So um, it's it's hard to say when when the bug bit, really. But um, it was at a very early age. I think it was just one of those things that was just, you know, always meant to be. So um, did this uh, this love of calms manifest itself in school at all or anything? Did you do stuff um, like you said you're a writer? So did hmm. any of your writing work? Um, gravitate to cars or motorsport or anything like that? No, not particularly. Um, at school, I was um, much more into my football than I was my cars, actually. Cars were kind of something I didn't really know I could have a job in or a career in. You know, I was only aware that people could sell cars, and I didn't want to sell cars because, let's face it, people who sell cars, sometimes they're a bit, you know what I mean. So um, I didn't... <laughs> You know what I mean? So I didn't want to be one of them because I was always quite down to earth and I wasn't, I didn't have as big a gob as I do now when I was at school. So you know, I didn't want to put on like a flashy pink tie and try and sell someone an A3 sport pack. Um, and I still don't really, you know, I just, I don't have the cheesiness and the, and, and the sort of outrageousness for it. But um, yeah, I was much more into my football. Um, I was quite good at writing at school, but um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do at school. I never really had any career advice. I never really had anyone saying, oh, you should try doing this or you should go to university. It was always like, we don't really care what you do. I went to a really, (laughs) really naff school, a horrendous school. Um, You know, people bought in knives, cocaine, guns, the whole lot. It was it was really, really it was really, really rough. And you can you can choose to believe what part of that you like but <laughs> let's just say it wasn't a really good school and um yeah I, I got out as soon as i can because i wanted to buy a car okay so you what was your first car and when did you get it uh, my first car was a peugeot 106 1.4 liter quicksilver with uh, a whopping 97 brake horsepower on lowered wolf race alloy wheels and um i got it when I was about 18, 19. So I didn't do my license in my first year. I, I waited a year to do my license. And then, uh, so 18 was my first year of driving. Um, and I took out a bank loan for a Peugeot 106, which, you know, anyone can tell you is just a terrible idea, a terrible, terrible idea. Um, and yeah, it was a disaster really. I mean, it was a really, really good car in terms of, um, first cars because it was quick. It was light. It gripped the road really, really well. You could really push your luck on it with the bigger tyres and bigger wheels. Um, and I didn't end up wrapped around a tree. So I think if you are a young man and your first car doesn't end up wrapped around a tree, you've probably had a good first car. Either that or you've just been incredibly lucky. <laughs> yes, there is that. There is that. How long did you keep it then? I uh, kept it for about three, four years. Um, during that time, the uh, left rear brake snapped on in the middle of the road and the AA man took a hammer and chisel to it. Um, I permanently had wet feet due to a leak in the sunroof that put water into the um, the footwell. So whenever I had to get in the car and it had been raining, I had to 
have wet feet. Um, it, it broke down frequently. Um, it just took any opportunity it could to annoy me. And it was it was just one of those cars, really. Um, failed its MOT every single time. Um, it was naff, but it was it was kind of fun in a way as well. So, um, yeah, three or four years, I suppose. I didn't have it much longer than that. I got fed up of it. I just got fed up of it letting me down all the time. What did you move on to then? I moved on to um, a 2001 Audi TT 1.8 Quattro, um, which you're again... At, you're at 20... You're at 22? 22, yeah, about 22 years old. Yeah, That's which quite is flash for a 22-year-old, is it not? Yeah, it was. I would like to think that I was North Devon's biggest attraction for probably a good few years while I had that car, you know? Um, I was the man. That's, there's no other way of saying it, is there? I was just the man in my attitude. <laughs> no, it was, it, was a, it was a really good car, actually. I was really happy with it. Um, it wasn't a great car um, because it was a Mark 1 Audi TT and it wasn't anything special, particularly that it drank fuel ridiculously it was just always at the pumps and i don't know why it was a 1.8 but it would do about 25 miles per gallon nothing to do with having a heavy right foot by any chance no because i drive like an old lady a lot of the time um and i don't know why it just it was just naff for fuel consumption but it was great i mean whenever it used to snow i was out on the road with the four by fours in my in my tt quattro (laughs) not giving a a toss always sliding it around corners and then just being a pillock basically um my girlfriend at the time was not impressed at any point with the car she thought i was a pillock and uh, well i mean that might not be because of the car i'm not really sure to be honest but um i think the car was a contributing factor but i mean the good thing about that car was I, i've always got a claim to fame now because that car was the car that hugh grant drove in about a boy the film uh, oh. and it was given away in a competition and eventually after a couple of owners it ended up at a mazda dealership in south of devon somewhere and i went down there with yes another large bank loan to buy it so um it's my claim to fame at least and I, I had a really good time with it i drove to i drove to paris in it this is one of my you know i have my really really good ideas sometimes you might have seen them on twitter or something or um I've heard you, you might... mention one or two on uh, on the podcast yeah yeah well one of my fantastic ideas was to take my audi tt and drive it to paris without thinking that I might need a map and I might need satellite navigation. I was going to ask about that because um, yeah. this afternoon I, I was doing, I was catching up on the podcast because I've been on holiday, um, actually in Cornwall, um, and I had a lovely time and it was wonderful and the roads were clear. You'd be delighted to hear and it, the sun shone. I hate, co- <laughs> hate it. Don't even want to talk about it. This interview's over. <laughs> Don't drop the C word. <laughs> um yeah, so I, I was behind on my podcast, so I was listening to your latest episode, um, where it was mentioned that you gained a life skill in reading maps. So yeah, so how did the trip to Paris and in Paris go without the ability to read a map? I, I take it you can uh, speak and read French. Not really. Okay. Um, yeah. You, you you go for easy things then. <laughs> I'm just, I just, I'm really thoughtless sometimes. Something that I think is a very, very good idea normally isn't. Um, and it was great because I knew that I would follow the road signs to Paris because there would be road signs to Paris. How could there not be road signs to Paris? I then didn't think about how big Paris is. And I also didn't think about, you know, where I was going to meet my friends in the suburb of Paris. You know, it's probably about 100 Par- Parisian suburbs. I just didn't think about it. And it, it's typical me that I just forget to think about important points 
when planning and it infuriates people um and it was horrendous i mean it took me probably um four hours to get to paris probably from from the south of england and when you think about i had to be on the boat as well so there was an overnight on the boat so we're talking combined times here um i got three hours sleep on that boat by the way as it rocked around on the ocean horrendous don't take ferries there's no need for a ferry there's no need for it um and then i was lost for nine and a half hours inside central paris I'd asked policemen. I nearly died on about three occasions. I had an old lady swearing at me for about 20 minutes. <laughs> and I ended up just being impressed by her sheer stamina of being able to <laughs> to flip the bird at me for that long. It was impressive. It was impressive. She, I mean, she wasn't, she wasn't a young lady. You know, to do that for so long was just, I was, I mean, I, I would have given her a standing ovation, you know, had I been able to get out of the car, but, but, but no. It was it was awful. It was at one point I was actually thinking I'd have to sleep in my car on the streets of Paris, but it turned out purely by chance. I was only about twenty minutes away from where I was meant to be after nine and a bit hours. So I got I got there in the end, and then stayed in the worst hotel I've ever seen in my life. Oh dear! A hotel so bad it was actually in a French crime drama. There was a couple of murderers holed up in it. That's how bad that hotel was. Unbelievable. Never going there again. So anyway, the car um, worked perfectly. It was just the soft, squidgy thing directing it that had the issues. Yeah, I mean, the car was great. It was really comfortable, great on a long drive, powerful for overtaking. Um, it was it was what you need, really. It was had nice leather seats, heated seats, um, you know, a good selection of radio channels. <laughs> it was... <laughs> yeah, I know what I'm on about there. Um, How long did you keep it then? Um, I kept that for probably another four years or so. And oh, you, um, you stick with the car when you buy it. Yeah, normally I have to because I've normally That's nearly bankrupt myself. <laughs> yeah, just buying the thing. So I normally have no other choice because I, I refuse to recognise um, depreciation. It doesn't exist to me. Well, if so you keep I, it long enough, it's irrelevant. Yeah, yeah. That's my theory. Or if I, I get, buy, or if you buy a car old enough, again, it's irrelevant. It's it's going to yeah. move a few a few pounds from that figure. Um, okay, forget what you put in it to keep it going. Yeah, you have that, to Again, that. that's an irrelevant figure. Yeah. Um, this is, but if you were ever to sell on, you keep it till it dies or sell it on for maybe the same price, maybe a little bit more, depending on how mad the market's gone. Uh, yeah. And yeah. realistically for losing a few quid. But, that, uh, but you just think of that as an investment in enjoyment. Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed it. So, I mean, it, it, it was costing me a fortune again. It seemed, every car I seem to buy ends up costing me a fortune. I mean, maybe I'm just poor. I haven't thought about that. Maybe <laughs> you I'm are just now, because you like cars. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, anyone who likes cars doesn't have any money. No. It's, it's not possible to have money and like cars. It just isn't. No, I, I think, no. I think you, that's, you're, you're quite right there. You can't, you can't do the two. And if there's any youngsters listening who, who want to get into cars... Just, you know, just think about it. You know, you're giving up a lot of money. You know, giving up the chance to buy multi-packs of sausage rolls. You'll only be able to buy one. Think about that. It's up to you whether you think that's worth it. When I didn't have a car, I used to buy loads of sausage rolls. Loads. And now I can't really do that anymore. I miss those days. (laughs) So what did you move on to after the TT? Um... I traded it in for a Skoda Fabia VRS. 
um, which is a car I think is very underrated. I think that's actually a very, very good car. It has its flaws, but it was the it was the car out of all the cars I've owned. That was the car that I drove the most like an idiot. Um, it, it was it was great. Does it encourage you to or? Yeah, it did add loads of grip. It had a nice compliant suspension, had a DSG gearbox. It drank oil. It just drank oil all the time, and I don't really know why, but I think that was a common problem with them. Um, I took my Audi TT in to exchange it. The clutch was burning as I dropped it off in the forecourt. <laughs> so I, I made sure I'd like got every ounce of life out of that TT that I could. Um, moved on to the Fabio VRS. And uh, then I jumped up straight away, more or less, to um, the Octavia VRS when that was announced. I was the first person in North Devon to have an Octavia VRS. Um, and yeah. Did people they, think you were a policeman? Um, no, because I ordered it in Meteor Grey, that kind of matte grey with the black pack. So it, was, it, it looked really, really snazzy. And, um, and then obviously my back injury happened and it didn't really get driven anymore. So I didn't get to enjoy it for long. But um, it was... It was a really good car while I had it and so is the Fabia I'm a big big Skoda fan I love Skodas I've, I've got a big um, connection to the Czech Republic as well so um, Skodas are special for me as well because they just remind me of the Czech Republic and it's what a fantastic country that is I've never been it's, it's on my list of oh you need to go to visit yeah it's a, it's an unbelievable country and again much like the Fabia VRS it is incredibly underrated really well I shall take that um endorsement yeah get on TripAdvisor. make it happen yeah or expedia you know do one of them website things and you know get some tickets tonight tell them johnny sent you oh, get okay well yeah they'll get a discount yeah <laughs> so um moving away from the cars for a moment mm-hmm. yeah when did you start writing about cars then did you go off to uni or did you no because you said you left school as soon as possible to get a car yeah, I was um, I was one of those people who never actually wanted to go to uni, and never, never at any point did I consider university an option. Um, it just wasn't for me, and I think a lot of young people feel that way now. It just it just isn't for them, and I believed at the time that I didn't need to go to be a success. I just had I had a belief that I could I could do just about anything if I put my mind to it, and that was that was tested a lot in my early years. Um, just working in a supermarket, driving a Peugeot 106, it makes you makes you reevaluate your life choices. <laughs> when after a nine hour shift in a supermarket, you walk outside and get your feet wet in a knackered Peugeot 106, you know it makes you think long and hard about your life choices. Yeah, but um, living the dream doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen overnight, no. Um, and I started writing probably uh, three three years ago now. I would say probably about three years ago. Um, I had a really really bad back injury. And I was sidelined for a good nine months. It took me about three months to walk again. Um, so I had to think of something to do at that time. And I, I genuinely didn't want to go back to my day job. I just didn't want to go back to it. And I, I was fed up and I wanted to do something that I really cared about. I couldn't motivate myself to get fit again because I didn't want to go back anyway. I didn't realize I was fed up of it until I stopped doing it. Um, and it's, I think a lot of people have a similar experience, but I started to write about cars. Just um, and actually, I wrote probably a two thousand word email to Jeff Musial of the Drive Network, which at the time was was hugely popular and doing very well. I used to watch the videos a lot when I was sidelined. Um, I wrote him a two thousand word email, just saying like, you know, I don't want to do this. I want to I want to do something with cars because 
you know, that's what I feel like in my heart I really want to do. Because when I was injured, I asked myself, well, what would I want to do in an ideal world? And that was, you know, be Jeremy Clarkson, be a Top Gear host, you know, travel the world, drive cars, you know, write about cars, share my opinions about cars, you know, have adventures with cars. Mm. So, um, and JF um, was was brilliant. He wrote back to me the next day. Um, he just said, you know, thanks for, you know, writing to me and stuff. And um, And then he gave me like a big kick up the arse. He just, you know, he wrote me a sort of semi-sweary email and just said, look, you just got to get on with it. Just do it. If you think you can do it and you want to do it, just do it. It's that simple. So I just was, I got, he fired me up and I just started doing it. And then um, I first found a home on the Opposite Lock blog over in the States. So I actually started writing for an American audience before a British audience. Um and I just really enjoyed it. It was great. It was it was therapy for me because at the time I couldn't do anything. You know, I couldn't go outside. I couldn't go for a walk. I couldn't drive. It gave you a I bit was, of focus, did it then? It, it gave me a reason to exist, I would say. I had literally nothing else to do at that time um, apart from doctor's appointments, take drugs and physio. That, that was it. So um, it was... It was a big um, saving factor for me. And a, a different girlfriend I had at the time was a really important part of um, encouraging me to to get on with it and do it. Um, so, you know, she was a very, very important factor in that. And um, my family as well were incredibly supportive. And um, I just emailed a few guys in the UK after I've been writing a while and just said, look, can I, can I do some more? Because I got a hunger for it. And I wanted to do more. I wanted to be more active and busy. And I never thought really that I'd I'd make a living out of it. Um, it's all happened. I, I feel very, very lucky the way everything's kind of um, fallen into place for me. And I think if you really love something, you don't necessarily realize how hard you work. And I never really feel like I'm working hard. To me, it's just, you know, doing doing what I really like. And um, people say, oh, well, how do you get time to do all this stuff? And I, I don't really know. I just, I just do it. You know, it's just, um, it's just something that happens. So Yeah, no, well, I'm, I'm going to say since, since I've... Um been following you and known you um you definitely put in a lot of hard work uh but i do know what you mean by the uh I, well i don't know how it happens it's a just does type thing mm. because you're you're so busy doing the thing yeah you don't yeah. appreciate the, the steps you've taken to get to do the thing and furthermore than that i don't necessarily remember them even because it's all been such a a hurricane of a, of a journey so far everything's happened so fast i don't necessarily remember where i was at certain times or what i was doing or even you know this i'm sure there's been events i've been to and i don't remember them now and um it just moves so fast it really really does move so fast and when you've got a busy week um or you've got a lot on things just things just fly past really really quickly but you have to remember to um pinch yourself sometimes when you're on an event or a launch um, there's a couple of times I did that one, one time was actually on <laughs> one time was on the, f- uh, Ford S max launch out in Mallorca. <laughs> and, um, we'd stopped in like, uh, it was one of them Spanish towns that was built before the recession. So there should oh, have right, been people okay. there, but there wasn't, there was <laughs> yeah. nobody there. It was a complete ghost town. And I remember getting out of the S max cause we had to take some pictures and I was with, I was with Phil Huff at the time. And I remember just getting out and kicking a couple of stones outside this sort of garden sort of park bit in this deserted town in Mallorca and just thinking bloody hell how did I manage to get to Mallorca to drive a new car that no one else has driven yet mm. you know it's it's one of those moments and you just have to keep reminding yourself of things like that because it's we're, we're incredibly lucky people to get to do what we do and um 
yeah, it's a dream. It's a dream job. It's, dream, it's not always easy. And it's, sometimes it's frustrating, but it is a dream job. And, you know, the, the child in me or even the 21 year old me would never have believed that I would be doing what I get to do now. The, the first time you really came to prominence um, for me was uh, when Phil Huff, who you just mentioned, mm. um, of um, Front Seat, um, he retweeted your article where you which I thought was an excellent article which will be in the show notes for anyone who hasn't seen it. Oh thank um, you. Check it out. Where you uh talked about wondering if you were a problem in motoring journalism. Yeah. Yeah. Could you tell if anyone hasn't read it yet and they will read it because I've mentioned it and it's in the show notes so you please listen. Please go and read it now. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Could you give us a quick um, summary of what that was because I, I thought it was very very mm. interesting um, what you were saying um, yeah I mean at, at the time it was it was from comments made by someone who I consider a friend uh, Neil Briscoe um, he's a really really good guy he's one of the nicest guys I've met and um, he'd written a piece about how um, bloggers basically were an issue for motoring journalism um, which is something I just don't buy into whatsoever I just don't. I think a lot of the older writers are very, very protective of their profession. And, you know, they're fully entitled to be because, I mean, what a profession it is. But, you know, the, the world evolves. Things things move on. People who blog are just as relevant as proper journalists who've been to university and, and trained and written books now. And that's just the way it is. It's not for me to say whether that's a good thing or not, but that's the way it is. So to suggest that people who are working quite hard and doing whatever they can to become established writers and for people to respect their opinion to say that they're a problem or some sort of disease within the profession was was just really really wrong for me so I wanted to write kind of a retort to that and Neil was completely supportive and I emailed him what I thought about it and stuff and we had a chat about it and he um he completely agreed with me um the problem is there are some people in motoring journalism who are considered a problem, and I can understand why those people may be. But um, when the more established journalists, shall we say, or people who are up near the top of the pyramid criticise bloggers, they do so with a blanket and yes. they criticise yes. all bloggers. And it's 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 not on for yeah, me. Yeah, I, I think they, 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 there are – I occasionally see comments um, – Sorry to cut you off there, but I because I, I, I totally agree with what you say in this. Um, surprise, surprise! Someone who's got a podcast who so is not a traditional journalist <laughs> in any way, um, but uh, I agree with what you're saying that when people uh, speak negatively of bloggers or uh, YouTubers or podcasters or whatever, it's a it's a blanket. Yeah, it's a, it's a blanket yeah. uh, sweeping statement that they're all rubbish. None of them put any effort in. They just want to have free cars. They just want this. They just want that. You know, and uh, it's belittling. If they call themselves a motoring journalist, it's, it belittles the whole industry. Yeah. And yeah. Um, yes, there are people out there who don't put the effort in, who are just desperate to drive whatever they can or you know want to get into a lamborghini or a ferrari or whatever yeah, um, yeah. or uh don't you know have sh put out shoddy work um and that it, that does need to be criticized because um it it can potentially harm uh i consider myself a very new person to this because i've only been 
This show comes out just after the one-year anniversary of uh, the Motoring Podcast starting, Mm -hmm. officially Mm -hmm. uh, producing its first episode. And um, I've been lucky enough to go on uh, some launches. I've been lucky enough to test some cars. Um, But I think the way that we've approached it is we have uh, taken very very much baby steps and we have tried to um, explain to the motoring manufacturers, A, what a podcast is, yeah, uh, and B, this is the perspective we're coming from. We are not saying we are motoring journalists. However, we uh, we act professionally, mm, even though mm. we haven't made a dime yet on it. But we act professionally, um, and these are our core values. And this is how we we look at the news or at cars. And this is how we will report back on that. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, we're not saying oh, give a car or anything like that because that, that one. How dare you? <laughs> mm. I mean, mm. 10 out of 10 for having the gumption to ask that, but no, no. We, <laughs> there has to be something in it for the manufacturer. They have to... Yeah, of course. They have to, you know, it costs them a lot of money to give anyone a car, so they have to be able to um, see that it is going to reach a wide enough audience. Yeah. Which is why I can see parenting bloggers are um, being spoken to by manufacturers. Is why I can see... Mm. Um, you know, beauty vloggers and all the rest of it, they want to get in front of their audiences. And I can understand that from the manufacturer's point of view, because we in the motoring corner of the internet is quite a niche corner that the general public doesn't go into that often, unless you want top gear, what car, auto car, you know, somebody like that. So uh, I I do agree with what you were saying. And I have just rambled on when I should be talking to you or asking (laughs) you talk here, but (laughs) Um, but I do agree with what you're saying that uh, we don't, we're not all like that. We're not all no. um, to be dismissed or ignored or, you know, poo-pooed or whatever. I, I think that's wrong. And um, I think they need to, uh, anyone who does have that attitude needs to just think carefully. It's like we can, we could turn around and say, you know, certain that we don't like X, Y, and Z easily enough. But I think we need to be just a bit more adult about it. Absolutely. And I can't really um, criticize um, motoring journalists. But like I said at the start of the show, like I don't know whether I can call myself a journalist. I don't like to call myself a journalist because I haven't got a journalist qualification. But yet I'm paid to write my opinions about cars. Hmm. So there isn't really a title for me. Um and and later this year, obviously, I'm going to have an article in, in Sorted Magazine, and I've been featured on a few websites that, that aren't blogs. So I'm not really a blogger either. I'm just kind of something in between. So I just call myself a writer most You're of the time. because writer, it's Just a motoring writer, yeah. And, you know, I don't want to offend anyone by calling myself a journalist, because you can. If you say the wrong thing on a launch, you could quite easily put one of the older guys' noses out of joint because, oh, you didn't go to university and you're not actually a journalist and you haven't done a hard time at a newspaper or a magazine or something. But people people can identify themselves with bloggers and with normal people more than they can, the motoring journalist. Mm. And that's why people care about the opinions of of people who are passionate about the subject or people who have a subject they need to think about. So the parenting blogs, like you say, um, the beauty vloggers, again, I mean, that's, that's an area that, you know, we could get into that, you know, what have they got to do, but these people have a sense of style, you know? So, and, and style is a very important 
part of of automotive business and it's what first attracts you to a car so if you've got someone who's incredibly stylish and who knows a lot about sort of fashion and stuff and they like a car because of the way it looks or the way it makes them feel or how it goes with their image that's perfectly relevant um but you know there's there's yeah but it's it's that and and it's perfectly relevant for their audience it's not relevant for us and we wouldn't care really no no Uh, i mean it's not putting anybody out from the motoring side of things yeah yeah that's the thing it's not as though it's a replacement for it's just another avenue and I, it's and I another perspective. You. Yes, that's and, that, and that's the thing I, I was going to say there about um, people who aren't necessarily gone to university to be journalists and then done hard time on local newspapers and gone to national and all this sort of stuff. It's mm. a different perspective. I exactly. think what you uh, give and definitely what Smooth Traffic gives is a, is a different perspective as well as fun, which I don't think there is enough of in the motoring mm. world. Mm. Uh, and I think what Alan and I give on the motoring podcast is, is a different perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think there isn't enough, like you say, there isn't enough people enjoying cars. There's there's a lot of people who are out there enjoying football or sports or, you know, beauty, fashion. There's people out there enjoying that and having a bit of fun with it. And there's no one really out there having fun with cars because people are a bit scared to have fun with cars because they're worried that they're going to get slandered by by people who are very, very serious about cars and people who, you know, have incredibly boring conversations about cars. Well, that's why I really enjoyed um, the Sniff and Smith videos. Yeah. Because that's two friends. Okay, it it helps that they are as well-known in the motoring world as they are, Mm. that allows Mm. them the freedom to do that. But, But I think it will hopefully show others that there is the possibility to do it in a fun way. You don't have to be deadly serious and talking about you know um bhp all the time Mm. or whatever Mm. or um handling like a go-kart or like it's on rails or using other cliches yeah yeah so and and i I think that's really good and that's one of the things that really comes across to me about your podcast is that it's fun it's it's three friends although sometimes i question whether they actually do like (laughs) i question Uh, it particularly kingy (laughs) Yeah, he's, he's not he's, backward and coming forward. He's really fed up with me sometimes. Properly fed up with me. I'll have to tell you about Scotland in a minute. He got really fed up with me about that. But yeah, no, c- carry on, carry on. <laughs> and 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 I enjoy that because you know this is uh, our time off. Yeah. So what's the what? Why should it be? I mean, it, it should be informative. It should be you know accurate and that sort of stuff. But it doesn't mean it can't be fun or it can't be interesting. Yeah, and that's where sometimes I think it gets a bit lost because, well, if you if you if your income does derive around writing about cars, then it can easily uh, get into a vicious circle of being very serious because it is serious for you to get it right to get it out. Yeah, Uh, Yeah. and the manufacturers are serious because they've put a lot of money into this model that Mm. they want to sell a lot of. So you know it. The outer industry is serious. Yes, of course it's serious, but it doesn't mean that um, we can't enjoy it. And sometimes I think that's missing from the way I see some things are reported or are um, uh, dealt with. I think there's a, there's a, it gets a bit too serious. Mm -hmm. I I find the Smith and um, Sniff thing a bit interesting as well, because I, I don't know if I'm right about this, but I believe they're two people who've been heavily critical of bloggers in the past. And yet they're making something that is kind of bloggy in style. 
that everyone is enjoying. And I, I find that interesting because if they were so critical about the way bloggers are before, but yet they're producing something in the style that someone like Smooth Traffic might do, there's kind of... Uh, well, I've, I've, um, I got into the back end of a conversation, uh, I, I, as, as Twitter allows, I happily mm-hmm. dropped myself into a conversation that um, uh, Richard Porter started when he was, he was discussing uh, bloggers. Uh, and not in a positive way. Mm, and mm. this was at a time when I was uh, fighting with my own confidence about starting a podcast before Alan helpfully came along and said, do you want to do it? Yes, please. Um, <laughs> we'll hold yeah. each other's hands as we go. That's much easier. <laughs> um, but um, Major Gav uh, was involved and said, well, you know, that's a bit harsh what you were saying. And, and I came in and said, well, that's, uh, you know, I just replied to Gav and said, well, that's, that takes that makes it easy for me. I won't bother. And he, he went on to explain. And sometimes Twitter, um, much as I love Twitter, and I really do, because it allows us to communicate with so many people. Mm, absolutely, in the good times. Um, but it, the 140 characters didn't allow uh, Mr. Porter to explain fully what he actually meant. Was you know the cliched rubbish writing stuff mm, like this. Mm. You know, he's saying if you do it good, it is good. I'm attacking uh, where people aren't putting the effort, they aren't putting the thought in, yeah, stuff like yeah. that. And, and that, that's, that's fair enough. That is fair enough. But again, it, it, these people need to be careful about what they're saying, I think. Because you know, if, I, if I came out and said all, all motoring journalists are old and cranky and stupid and behind the times, I'd be absolutely criticised for it, and rightly so. Mm. So why is it that you know, those people can come out and just blanket term bloggers at the same time there's there's a there's a disconnect there i think we're sort of second class citizens in the motoring business if i'm being perfectly honest about it there's been plenty of opportunities um on well, let's say there's been plenty of occasions on launches where i've i've introduced myself and they're like who do you write for and i've said oh i'm i'm freelance or oh, i'm I, I write for free blogs and people have turned around and walked the other way so and it's I've I've had even have I've had a couple of older journalists actually completely ignore me when I tried to talk to them as in like looking into the distance like not even not even making eye contact with me. Well, that's I just that is I just find I mean, that I've, is absolutely I've, I've, ridiculous. I've only, um as a recording I've only been on one event. Mm-hmm. Uh I go on another one soon. Um uh, which I'm looking forward to and amazed has happened. You know, it's, it's what you were saying before. It's a, you sit there and you pinch yourself and go, oh, is this actually happening? <laughs> <laughs> you um, do. And it's important to do that as well. I really, I really believe that. Yeah. Uh, but I've, I've been lucky not to have encountered too much negativity, if, if hardly anything at all, really. Um, which, uh, again, I'm, I'm very delighted at. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, there's there's people feeling threatened as well. What we have to remember. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, it, it must be so hard to run a magazine in this day and age. Oh God, yeah. I would want to do it. No, I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't have. I would have no interest in that whatsoever, because um, it must be it must be really bloody hard work. The and to be honest, about you must do yeah. to to balance between getting income and writing something that people want and. All that it just it's just it seems it seems almost an impossible yeah. um, effort and yeah. and I hope in in time to bring some editors of well known magazines on here 
Um, mm-hmm. and this is one of the things I'm going to ask him is how do you do it? <laughs> Just how do you manage it? Because I imagine it sucks the joy out of the job a bit. Yes. I imagine it. I can quite easily see that happening. If you're under so much pressure to put out this thing and you've got big boss uh, bosses in, you know, big offices somewhere in Europe who, you know, make a lot of money out of your publication, it, it must be incredibly hard to, you know, maintain your love and enthusiasm for the subject which is what got you there in the first place i don't think anyone in the motoring business got into the motoring business with regards to writing um not feeling something for the subject i think everyone who i've come across who who does this is massively passionate about the subject and i think if you have put yourself in a situation where you're then the editor or assistant editor and it's really really stressful and you've got too much on your plate how can you really enjoy it anymore how can you really have your heart in it i'm not i'm not sure i mean i i definitely couldn't and i would never be interested in taking an editor's job or even assistant editor i just i just don't care for that whatsoever you know i'm I'm quite clear on what my role in this world is and that's to drive the cars write about the cars take the pictures of the cars and share with people what it's like and you know share that experience with people and you know sometimes i might be driving something incredibly dull but um you know it's all about the journey and it's all about what you're doing and you know there's always something to say even if you don't like it or even if you have to be careful what you say there is always something to say you can be critical without um offending a whole company yeah, um that's just what we what we were saying earlier as long as you're truthful yeah and you're not um and you're not personal and that, and that, and when I say personal, I mean it's not necessarily about a person, but I mean the way that you deliver any criticism that you have for a product, a vehicle. Yeah. You know, if that isn't personal and is, you know, you are uh, the way you deliver it is done right, then again, you know, people can't complain or shouldn't be able to complain at that. Yeah, I mean, if 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 someone came to me and said we don't like what you've written, I would I would kind of just say tough. And I would hope that the people above me would accept that as well, because I'm entitled to my opinion. That's the way I see it. I'm I'm allowed to not like a Vauxhall Corsa. If I don't like a Vauxhall Corsa, I don't have to, you know, pretty, pretty up too much. As long as I'm sensible about what I'm saying, I don't see how they can, you know, demand for articles to be changed and stuff, because you have heard about that. Yes. And, uh, you know, going back to the major publications thing as well, there's been plenty of suspicious occasions at major publications where a car of the year has has won car of the year and nobody really knows why. Mm. And, you know, that's another reason why people are going towards the blogging side of things, because there's there's no there's no businessmen behind us with ulterior motives. We, we genuinely just say what we think. And but it um, does open uh, the it does open up to the same problem that magazines have, which is the uh, balancing neutrality with uh, income. Uh, and yes. I think that's, that is, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, if you report mm. on it and you uh, are receiving um, product to test, I think it's, it, it is forever a really tricky one, particularly if you want to make an income off it. I mean, you can see some websites are doing a race to the bottom where they will report anything. Yeah, just to true. get the clicks. And there's others that don't. Um, you know, it, it depends on what the driving force is behind the the website or the YouTube channel or whatever it is. It depends on what's behind that. To um, 
you know how much you can believe everything that you see i think yeah. and, and that's uh, i i that's something i wish bloggers would um think about a lot more carefully yeah. before they started and almost like have a mission statement to say this is how we are operating our business yeah yeah um because then everyone will know and that's that's in a, in a way that's that's how you know we've we've gone about our respective podcasts i think you know when when we started smooth chat we had a very clear idea of what we wanted to do um we we weren't going to um we weren't going to dedicate too much time to it i think that was important because we don't want to relentlessly be writing newsy little newsy pieces on a blog or um or going through the news you know we're we're aiming at a different kind of product you know we're trying to keep it to half an hour so it's you know like a quick episode you can listen to on a commute or something and um keep it fun keep it light you know just keep it keep it in the way that we show people how much we we love cars and how much happiness it brings to our lives really there's no there's no pressure on on us in smooth traffic to deliver anything fantastic we we just do what we like doing you know deadliest boot spaces is a ridiculous idea it's just a ridiculous idea why would you compare the, the boot space of a morgan to a well-equipped horse there's no reason for it we're just doing it because it's a bit silly and a bit fun and you know it makes us laugh it's good fun trying to guess you know how much space can you get in a horse compared to a morgan you know it's just it's just good fun and that's you know that's an, an important thing to hold on to i think i think so i think so particularly if it's a side project yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. I mean, smooth traffic is um, is is not what I make any money from, <laughs> and um, it doesn't look like we're ever going to make much money from smooth traffic. Though we have always planned to have a smooth traffic office one day, with lots of posters and and crap car memorabilia in, <laughs> and um, we're not ever sure how that's going to be paid for because we know for a fact we're never going to make any money out of smooth traffic. But yeah, like we've we've done video game um, impressions and stuff on our YouTube channel. Um, to do with to do with cars once again. Um, we even put up a video of us just practicing with a GoPro, just playing crazy golf. Yes, I because did see that. <laughs> <laughs> and like, why would, that has nothing to do with cars. And you know, it's just it was just us mucking around trying to get used to the GoPro, which we've later used in, you know, the Honda CRV review kind of um, talk we did. Mm. Um, the boot space challenges that we've done. There's some catering stuff that's going to come out on that as well. So um, it was just us you know getting together really and and working out how a camera works when did the the idea first come up to um get get the three of you on a call together to start recording smooth traffic uh, <laughs> this is a funny story this is quite a good story actually i got i don't know if it's funny it's quite a good story i think um i had a broken phone that i had dropped climbing out of my car and i'd cracked the screen and i could only send voice clips because my touchscreen would not work well enough to type on on my phone so i would forever be sending really strange voice messages and silly voice messages to um to to ben actually benny pierce um and they were they were like really silly like doing impressions and um just me rambling on basically probably a bit like this interview um but his fiance suggested that i should do a podcast because she actually found them quite entertaining my my stupid voice clips she actually thought they were quite funny so um one day i think one day ben and kingy bought me a microphone and said there you go johnny off you go 
And I was like, oh, what do I, I had no idea what to do because I don't do anything with technology. I have, I have nothing to do with it whatsoever. I don't really understand it. So you really um, are the Clarkson of smooth traffic. I don't think I'm as much of as Clarkson, but the Kingy might disagree with that because I have my moments, you know. Everyone does, though, don't they? But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, technology just isn't for me. Ben is very te- technologically savvy. He's always on the ball with tech. And sometimes he'll send us information about the latest space launch or something, which I couldn't give a toss about. But, you know, I pretend to be interested because it's Ben and he's a nice guy. Um, so I didn't really know what to do with it. So in the end, they decided, oh, well, don't worry. We'll, we'll do it with you because Kingy loves his cars. Ben is very interested in the tech and the sort of electric car side of things. Mm. Ben doesn't really care about V8s or V12s. He just likes the tech involved in cars because there's a lot of really clever stuff that goes on. So he provides another valuable perspective in a way because he's not into his cars as much as me and Kingy are. Mm. You know, he does, he doesn't care about Italian V sixes that make skirts blow up at the side of the road. He's more about electric and touchscreens and, you know, how we, you know, use radars to do um, cruise controls and stuff like that. So it's a good perspective. So in a way it works when we're together and, um, you know, I can kick off about things that I've seen that have offended me. King can try and reel me back in and Ben can talk about, the tech side of things you know, it just kind of works as a as a trio you can't fake chemistry and we we already had chemistry from being such close friends so um it just made perfect sense to to carry on and just do what we do and make a podcast out of it really mm. you say chemistry sometimes it's pure hatred but i mean i understand what you're saying <laughs> <laughs> yeah there has been that there has been certain times there have been pure hatred yeah the um the catering trip to scotland there was yeah i'm pretty sure king nearly punched me um, it it sounded like I, mean, I, I will have a link to that episode in the show notes as well. So if you haven't heard <laughs> it, uh, listeners, please go and listen to it. But it did sound like the um, Lake District Hotel was a a particular low moment after a day of uh, the day after a full day of low moments. Yeah, it was a new low. You know, when you, they talk about hitting the bottom, don't they? But what if you hit the bottom? And then found that the bottom was just a collapsible floor, and then you hit another bottom. <laughs> that was that was the last ten minutes before we got to the hotel in the Lake District, and um, yeah, I mean, I, it was just one of those ideas that I thought was good, and it wasn't. So there was no harm meant by it, but um, but yeah, Kingy was absolutely livid. But um, but you know, we we had a couple of pints of Boddingtons and some table tennis afterwards, so you know, everything's better after that. <laughs> So you're coming up to your year anniversary as well with the podcast. Yeah, it's been and gone. It's been and gone. Um, we, we, were, we were start of or middle of August, I your think. Your first episode came out then, did it? Something like that. Oh, yeah. I apologise. No, no, don't worry, because we actually haven't put out the episode where we say happy birthday yet. Oh, okay, that's all right then. We've we've only managed to record half of it. Because again, it's 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 really hard to sort of just get everyone down together. And this, like this week, for example, I'm on two launches for four days, and you know I'm just out of the out and away from the laptop and the microphone the whole week. And then I'm not getting back till Sunday morning, probably. Um, so it's just, it's just impossible to get everyone together to do it sometimes. And um, so we've we've half recorded an episode. Um, <laughs> Kingy had to take a phone call in the middle of the episode, and then just couldn't come back. <laughs> And that's that's how it works at Smooth Traffic. We all set a time sometimes to record, and then someone gets a phone call, and that's it. Or Ben goes to see a comedian, and then nothing gets done. 
but you know we we've got a life you know we don't want to we don't want to sit down and you know get cranky with each other and force force content out it'll just be out when it's out mm. and i'm pretty sure that infuriates a few listeners of ours because they say why can't you do it once a week we're just too busy we just got better things to do you know, we, we like doing it, but sometimes we want to go out to pretzos and have some spaghetti. Well, you What's say busy, us listeners say selfish, but you know, hey, let's why yeah. split hairs. <laughs> well, if you ask if you ask those lads if if I'm selfish, they will say a hundred percent yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just the way I am. I think I'm misunderstood, but you know. So have you um have you got plans for smooth traffic or are you keeping going as you are? Have you are you gonna be adding new things, you're gonna be anything like that that you can reveal? That um, what can I reveal? That's the thing. Um, we've got a couple more videos coming out. I think I've, I can reveal that. You know, we've got some catering videos from uh, the trip to Scotland. They're going to be out at some point. GoPros so the in the car. Was waterproof. The camera was waterproof. I don't know if we stuck it on, on the outside. It's Ben's camera, and he wasn't there, so we were really scared. We actually yeah, had. Imagine you were. We actually had a contractual agreement that I would not hold the camera at any point during the trip. <laughs> So the only time I got my hands on the camera was when King was eating a sandwich and he asked me to hold it. And that was in um, some kind of chain supermarket in the Lake District. And I had to immediately give it back to him. And uh, we, actually, we actually had to tell Ben, like, oh, Johnny held onto the camera for about 30 seconds earlier. And he wasn't particularly impressed. He was actually a bit upset that, you know, the contract had been broken. But um, the camera was, was fine. It all happened to be in one piece. But, yeah, I mean we know that I'm not good with tech and I'm not allowed to use it, not allowed to touch it. So it was all on King to do that. And, um, he even wouldn't let me put the roof on the catering a lot of the time. <laughs> so when he got soaked in the Lake District, cause I was too selfish to put the roof on. I just wanted to get to the hotel quickly. I went into the hotel and got dry whilst he was still putting the roof on, <laughs> which he insisted we put on before it started pouring down. So that's, you know, he was really, really livid, really, really livid, but you know, I was dry. So it was all right, wasn't it? Quite from your perspective, yeah, not selfish. No, <laughs> not selfish. Uh, and change tack again. Yeah. Um, so after your injury and your rehabilitation, mm. what did you? Uh, what car have you bought yourself, or did you buy yourself? Oh well, it was it was really really difficult at the time because I I really liked my Octavia and I didn't really have any money because I was injured. I wasn't working, so. Mm. I um I took the last sort of few hundred quid I had, chucked it chucked down the deposit on a BMW 3 Series, purely because it had the most comfortable seats I'd I'd experienced, and I could only care about comfort at that point. So I I picked like the smallest wheel size, the softest suspension, um, and it's it's still costing me a fortune. But in a way, I wouldn't I don't regret the decision because it's allowed me to travel and allowed me to get around, allowed me to go back to work, allowed me to visit events, and so. It was kind of a necessary thing to do at the time. I couldn't drive my Octavia VRS because I had no lumbar support. The suspension was too hard. Um, and yeah, it's it was the only thing I could really drive that was comfortable for my back at the time. It was Because I've, I've noticed in cars, I don't know if you've noticed this as well, Andrew, but cars that often say they've got lumbar support haven't actually got lumbar support. And the Octavia VRS was one of those because it had a lever for lumbar support and it was listed as a feature. But all it did was probably make something the size of a jelly bean come out of the lower part of the seat. <laughs> it was. No, I've been lucky so far. The ones I've tested, there's, there's been a big lump that has kicked me in the small of the back. I've been fine. I've, I haven't been able to find decent lumbar support in anything except luxury cars. And that's and that was the only reason why I got a BMW. It had lumbar support. Volvos would be a good one. 
Yeah, Volvos. You know, I looked at Volvos at the time, and um, I couldn't find one that I could actually afford on a PCP because I guess the values were. Because I I buy my cars on PCP, mm-hmm. um, as most people do nowadays, and um, I couldn't find a Volvo that actually gave you know decent payments back. But I've since found out my BMW's worth squit because I've driven so many miles in it. So um, I'm I'm screwed. But you know, what can you do, eh? Buying new tires. That's what you do. Yeah, flipping. You I, you do sound like one of the unluckiest people I know when it comes yeah. to punctures. I Aww. did know. I did know. A, I used to work in an architects firm, and one of the chaps bought himself a nine eleven. It was his dream car, and he went through six tires through punctures <laughs> within eighteen months. <laughs> to the point where he then th- was going, "Are people putting screws in the road deliberately for me?" Yeah, he got that paranoid about it, and uh, he had to sell his car in the end because it was <laughs> he couldn't afford to keep reshoeing it. Christ, that's such a shame, isn't it? No, it's something that I was suggested to me. People actually thought that someone was sabotaging me on my local roads, which I just think is ridiculous because I don't really have anyone that hates me enough to actually waste time doing things to me. <laughs> Not even King would put the effort into winding say, up. Is it, is it King? Just no, he wouldn't. For a bit of a laugh, <laughs> he wouldn't. He couldn't be bothered to waste his time on me. And a lot of people who I annoy feel the same. They can't be bothered to waste the time on me. So um, things like the farrier's nail, that was just a real kick in the balls, that. Because, I mean, for a start, horses shouldn't be on the road anyway. I'm sorry if there's anyone who likes horses listening, but there is no need for horses to be on the road. It's pointless. Horses don't belong on roads. They belong in fields, jumping over elaborate hurdles and things that, you know, they do at the Olympics and stuff. Um there's no reason for them to be in a road. So the fact that one of these outdated contraptions had left one of its shoe nails on the road that I happened to drive over and it cost me 200 quid, livid, livid. You know what? People with horses always have loads of money as well because they can afford six tons of hay every week and stuff like that and, you know, various injections for the horse's big legs because the horses inevitably go wrong, a bit like Peugeot's. So, you know, they should be paying for my tyre. Do horses pay road tax? I don't think they do, do they? No. Horses should be banned from all the roads. I mean, what what I think the listeners are experiencing now, if they haven't heard smooth traffic, is (laughs) uh, the full opinionated Mr. Johnny the Edge. Because the thing is, you you so often sit on the fence with your opinions um, (laughs) on the show, um, and and you you dress it up, particularly if we talk about, I don't know, um, service stations and toilets, perhaps. Oh, I mean... Service stations. They do my head in, service stations. Why is it service stations feel they can charge like £5 for a Mars bar as well? It's literally, it, they should not be allowed to do that. I've actually, I've, I try very, very hard not to go to service stations and always stop in a village or a town nearby or just avoid the motorway. Hmm. And motorways are just infuriating places to be and, uh, oh God, I hate them. But I mean, the one in uh, Folkestone was an absolute disgrace. I've never seen anything like that in my life. It was unbelievable. And I can't believe that Folkestone haven't come out and, you know, tried to respond to that. Because when you've seen pyramids made of poo, you know, someone should come out and say, I'm really sorry about that. You know, we live in Britain in 2016. There should not be pyramids of poo in a service station. No, I, uh, I, I've spent basically August driving around um, the country to various parts, uh, including the southwest. Your favourite counties. Um, well, maybe one of them is. <laughs> yeah, and one of them is. I, I have to say that uh, the public toilets in this country 
the, the toilets themselves are not a disgrace. It's the people who use them are a disgrace. They are a disgrace. And, and they need to uh, sort it out and stop being animals. Because it's just, I mean, I've got three young kids who I have to often drag into mm. toilets. And it, I, I dread having to do this because I'm thinking, what are they going to see? What am I going to have to stop them stepping in? It's just, the, the, people are disgusting, is the problem. It is unbelievable. And, and unless bad. they're employing a cleaner to continually clean all the time. But a cleaner shouldn't have to deal with that either. No, no one should have to deal with that. No, not even the SAS should have to deal with that. <laughs> It is unbelievable. But, I mean, then on the other side of things, you've got Folkestone, which represents everything that's wrong with motorways and service stations. Then you've got Gloucester Services, a palace, a I palace amongst service stations. Past, uh, a few weeks ago. Oh, it's unbelievable in there. It is like something from the 23rd century, but, you know, still local. I will, because uh, you started talking about service stations on, the, um, on your podcast, I will add and this is probably a bit too close to your home for you to ever really use, Exeter Services as one of the circles of hell. Yeah, I can believe that. I hate that place. I, I can I believe cannot that. Yeah. The car park is enormous, and every time I've been in it, it's rammed, and they've got three toilets for for either people, for either species, and it's awful, the the. The food's dreadful. The toilets are dreadful. It's just an awful place. And it's often I have no choice, but I have to pull over and I have to take the little people with me in. Otherwise, yeah. I am cleaning yeah. the car. See, it's, it's worse for you, Andrew, because, I mean, you've got little ones. I haven't. So, you know, I've, I can be more flexible with travel. But mm. people who've got kids like you have, you know, it's, it's not as simple as driving to the nearest village and, you know, no, it isn't. Parking, parking in a stupid place to, you know, buy a Waitrose sandwich or something. You know, it's, I, I can be selfish like that, but you know, when you've when you've got kids, yeah, you know, someone needs to have a look. I mean, no one will have a look at it because people just can't. Be, they just won't, will they? It's like this middle lane thing as well. You know, they've all they came out with this big thing and said, you know, people who are going to drive in the middle lane are going to get punished. Not one person has been punished for that. I've, seen, I've have, seen a few being uh, tweeted by the uh, police officers, but the problem is we don't have enough police to patrol it. Yeah, well, I I don't believe the police. I think it's a lie. Just like I believe run flat tyres are a lie. <laughs> run flat tyres are another lie. Just... Well, it depends on what, what the puncture is, doesn't it? If it's oh, the well, wrong they're... leaves on the, dra- on the track, then you've got scam. no chance. Run flat tyres are a scam. As soon as I can get off run flats, I'm going to do it. And police should just stop lying about people being prosecuted for middle lane driving, because we all know it's not happened. For all police officers listening, if you would like to put your complaints to... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We on the podcast do not endorse or condone any comments. Made. Yeah, we should have done a disclaimer at the start before we did this interview, really. Yeah. No, I'd, I'd just like to point out that the Motoring Podcast has nothing to do with my opinions. And they've, they've taken an extreme risk in even doing this interview with me. So, <laughs> To be fair, your, your, your partners on the smooth traffic often feel they don't have anything to do with your opinions. <laughs> right. Yes. I, I want yes. to um, to round out this this uh, interview uh, with some questions that I ask everybody that comes on here. Now, the idea is, and I I will try my best, I will bite my finger or something, but I'm going to ask the question, you will answer with your answer, and I will move on to the next question and not try to uh, start a conversation on it, because with some of these, I think we could be here all night, which is unfair on your time, but also we may lose 
listeners um, <laughs> through death. Oh. Yeah, well, if I go off on one, there's not much I can do about that. No, that's fine. That's fine. You doing that is fine, but I, I am not <laughs> to step in and add to it. <laughs> it's going to be a great test of your patience, isn't it, Andrew? I can oh, no, sense no. already. No, it's it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. No, it's just that often I'll be going, oh, but then what? And, and, and I can't do the but then. <laughs> <laughs> right, so I'll start with the first one. Yes. What currently excites you about the motoring world? Um... Well, this is a tricky one to answer because I don't often get that excited. I'm always quite, you know, quite reserved and quite sceptical about stuff. But um, I think it's 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 awesome how much technology we're getting into cars now that improves safety. Um, you know, the claim by Volvo that they're going to make cars that no one will get killed in by, what, 2020, I think they said? Yeah. That, that's incredible. And the safety systems we've got now that can protect people and prevent injury is just amazing. So I think from, um, from a human um, perspective – the advancements in safety are probably the most exciting thing that we have at the moment. And that, that goes all the way from four wheel drive, you know, tire advancements, um, all the way up to sort of the radars and the detection systems that we've got in cars now. I think, you know, it's, if you told someone in the 1970s that, you know, accidents can be avoided automatically, I think they would have been amazed. You know, it really is the future happening right now. Ah, excellent answer. Uh, what currently worries you about the motoring world? Um, the technology. <laughs> um, I think we've reached a point where we have so much technology, we're starting to um, become desensitized to driving. And um, yeah, I'm not against the technology coming in and preventing accidents and stuff, but we need to have some manufacturers making cars that still connect people to the experience of driving as well. We need to have you know, cars without all these fancy gadgets that are, are more basic. Because I, I don't believe they would be as expensive as the cars with all the tech. I think you could make them cheaper. Um, you know, this is the, the Dacia Sandero is it, quite good for that because it's so horrendously cheap and, and quite horrendous inside. But, you know, it connects you to the driving again. You know, and you know, having driven just something like the Caterham recently, it was unbelievably refreshing to be back in a car like that and to actually have to think about driving again. Because even in my BMW 3 Series, I don't really have to think about it. You know, I just press, press the go pedal, go forward. Um, if anything approaches me, I get a beep. If a tire starts to go, and that has happened plenty of times, I get a beep. Um, you know, so we need to make sure that people, especially young people, are still being able to experience what it's like to drive and not just what it's like to be transported in something, because that's what most cars are like now. Yeah. What's been your favourite car to drive, and why was it? Ooh, tricky. tricky. I, I mean, I've... I've been really lucky to, to drive a lot of really, really nice cars um, in the last couple of years. I've had a lot of favourites. Um, the Caterham 420R we've just done the trip in was was unbelievable. Um, just such a fantastic experience. The Rolls-Royce Wraith um, at the other end of the scale. Um, just a different world. Again, a different world in, in driving and um, travelling completely. Um, and the Lancia Fulvia um, from 1971 that I drove. I think that's the most beautiful car I ever made and um, just an unbelievable experience again. But um, probably in the last year, I'd say um, the old Escort RS Cosworth. So much fun to drive. So And it was invigorating to you know feel a turbo that lagged again because we don't get 
we don't get turbo lag nowadays. You get you get the old journalist who's like, mm, there's a bit of turbo lag in this. Go and drive an Escort Cosworth and tell me there's turbo lag. <laughs> That's you put real your foot turbo down lag. before you get to the roundabout. <laughs> Because you know nothing will happen until 50 metres after the roundabout. That's turbo lag. And that is that is great fun. You know, you just feel like, oh, what if I press my foot too early? Am I going to die? Oh, maybe, but let's find out. You know, it's really, really good fun and so engaging. But that sounds like that links back to the um, the point you were making before about joining, uh, enjoying the driving experience, the being, being clearly in control. Absolutely. There's this... Oh, it's so important. It is really, really important because we're going to be growing up. I mean, young people now are growing up and their first cars are cars with satellite navigation. Their first cars have cruise control. Mm. You know, their first cars have automatic gearboxes that are so slick you don't even feel the gear changes. You know, that's what people are, are growing up with now. You know, and the people need to reacquaint themselves with the experience of driving, to have a bad back when you get out of the car, to smell petrol when you shouldn't be smelling petrol. <laughs> to wait at the side of the road in the rain you know all of these things and to feel grip and to feel bumps and to feel the effort of driving a car again it's so important and that's that's why i would love to take younger people to an opportunity where they can drive something like a caterham or a morgan because it's 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 so important and that's what you fall in love with i think i think there's going to be a lot less people in the future who are in love with cars because they don't feel anything with the cars anymore. That's starting to happen already for me. There'll be a, there'll be a, an appliance. There'll be a white good. Exactly. I mean, my BMW is the perfect example of that. It's a great car, but it's also incredibly dull. Incredibly, incredibly dull. And people talk about, oh, yeah, BMWs are great because they're rear-wheel drive, aren't they? But nobody drives in drift mode. Nobody, nobody gets the arse out on roundabouts. If you no. do, you're a pillock and you're asking for it. And... People have to press that button and hold the traction control off and say to their insurance company, yes, I know what I'm doing. And when their insurance company finds out they've done that, they go, well, we're not giving you any money then. You know, you have to be a pillock. So when people talk about in reviews, the rear wheel drive being a crucial factor in, in you know, saloon cars like that. No, not really. It's a nice it's a nice feeling. It's a different experience, but it's not crucial. And to be honest, nobody cares when they're driving day to day. No, I agree. So what's been your least favourite car to drive and why was that? Um, it's a tie. It's a tie between the Honda Jazz with the CVT gearbox, the new Honda Jazz with the CVT gearbox, and the 1.2 Vauxhall Corsa petrol that I had from a hire company recently, <laughs> which was just ridiculously bad. It gave me absolutely no enjoyment whatsoever. I can't remember the last time a car has given me nothing like that i even drove a fiat brava on loan once a battered old fiat brava and that gave me so much more pleasure than the Vauxhall course i drove recently it just had nothing going for it nothing i was glad to see the back of it um the honda jazz cbt um it feels old-fashioned they've got a modern look and a modern interior but the engine feels quite old-fashioned um the gearbox is abysmal it's just an awful awful gearbox and if you're going to buy a Honda Jazz, and I can't really recommend that you do, but especially don't buy it with a CVT, please, please. Otherwise, I'm going to come around to your house and slap some sense into you. <laughs> Not on behalf of the Motion Podcast, though. Moving on to the next question, then. What car would you like to own next? Well, I'd like to go down the Italian route next, because anyone that knows me knows I've got a big love affair with, with Italy. A lot of Italian friends, I support an Italian football club. Um, 
And I haven't ever had an Italian car. Kingy has had Alfa Romeos, obviously, and he's completely besotted with them. And that's ridiculous because he's got a meter and it's rubbish. But um, he, he still loves it. And, you know, that that, that says something. So um, I'm hoping my next car will be an Abarth. I'd like an Abarth. Um, and I don't particularly care if I look a bit girly in one. Tough. I just, you know, want to have an Italian car experience. I mean, if, if a new Julia comes along at the right price, I might go for one of them. But um, I think I'd want something saucy next. Having had the boring automatic BMW, I think I want something with a manual gearbox and uh, a bit of a bit of liveliness, should we say? Okay. So, what's your favourite road to drive on then? That's another good question. That um, I've got a couple of very very good roads down where I live in Devon, but I can't tell you what they are because I actually don't know what their names are, or even if they have names. Because <laughs> this I would know. this would require you to read a map. Uh, yes, yes, and uh, I, I, no, I just don't believe in maps. Um, I don't know they exist, but you know, I just don't believe in using them. Um, it's witchcraft, is it? <laughs> it's yeah, it's for other people to do. It's not for me to do. Um, but there's a couple of really, really great roads um, near me, and one of them goes into Cornwall, and uh, one of them has a corner that's a bit like Eau Rouge, but the other direction. And um, so I called it Obrun because it's a bit naff round here. <laughs> so you know, brown water is uh, you know very suitable uh, name for a corner around here, and. Um, I also, um, I, I do name corners in my native Devon. So there's the Variante del Giorno um, on Exmoor, which is a fantastic, you know, left-right corner. Um, I think there's another Variante del something else in, in Exmoor, which is actually a hairpin and not a chicane. So it makes no sense. Um, but, you know, it sounds cool. So, um, yeah, I'd say my native roads in Devon are probably the best place to drive Exmoor, um, North Devon into Cornwall. Um, great place to test a car as well. You find a, a lot out about a car down here so when i drove the civic type r on our roads around here it was even more impressive than what it was on the on the silky uh, european roads that we get to drive mm-hmm. okay um now I, I have slightly stolen this question from something you've done on the podcast oh yeah uh, but what is the most pointless optional extra you've experienced <sighs> i i've been lucky i haven't really experienced them much myself but i think i think you have to i mean i've had a couple of skodas so you have to look at the ice scraper in the fuel cap of skodas it's not really necessary that and it's actually too small to be really worthwhile so you know i mean you can say to your friends like yeah i've got an ice scraper in the fuel cap yeah and that's kind of cool and it's it's like bright yellow so it is kind of cool because anything bright yellow is cool everyone knows that um but it's too small to be a decent ice scraper really and when you really peed off because it's a winter's morning and it's cold and you've not had time to have a proper cup of coffee and you have to de-ice the car you don't want to be scraping it off with something the size of a weetabix you know you want something big something that can actually get the ice off and you know not have to spend ages just chipping away at it so uh, i think for me that's kind of pointless but skoda normally do quite good optional extras so you know no disrespect skoda but that one just needs to be bigger put it inside the spare wheel and have a really massive one you know one about the size of half the windscreen that would be great Imagine the scraping you could do with that. Whew. Right, the last question. Who do you think uh, we should talk to next? Uh, motoring's Phil Huff. Definitely motor. If you can get Motoring's Phil Huff on uh, the Motoring podcast to share some of his stories and probably to slander me and, and um, tell embarrassing stories about me, um, then that would be good. Um, I don't know whether I should tell embarrassing stories myself or whether I should just let Phil do it. 
But um, Phil has been with me sort of from the start, so he's probably got a few funny stories to tell about me, and he's got loads of funny stories about other stuff he's done. He's just a really hilarious chap and a great company, and um, he's been a, a great support for me uh, coming through the ranks, shall we say, as a writer. So um, I think he'd be great value to get on the Motoring podcast. In fact, I might get him on Smooth Traffic if, you, if you'll agree to it. It's probably better you do interviews, though, because I'm not very good at interviews, really. <laughs> just, just too silly. Well, I don't know. I, I did hijack this one to go off on a bit of a ramble about how, you know, we're not all rubbish. Please don't call us rubbish. Yeah, I think that's fair, though. I mean, to be f- I mean, I put myself in the position of sometimes looking a bit rubbish because I am quite silly. But you know what? I just don't care. I'm having fun. I'm having fun with it. So, you know, if, if I end up looking rubbish, as long as my content isn't rubbish, that's the main thing. Yeah, if, if what you're putting out is decent, if it's informative, if it's accurate, if it's truthful... That's fine. Uh, and like I said to you before, th- there's uh, there's too much seriousness. We can find seriousness everywhere. Yeah. There isn't enough fun. And I don't mean necessarily daft slapstick type fun, but I just mean people <laughs> enjoying it. Yeah. that's the, And that's why I come up with um, silly road trip ideas or doing road trips that are a bit of a challenge or something that you really wouldn't want to do. Mm. Within, within five minutes of the catering trip, I already knew it was a terrible idea. And I just hadn't thought it through, but I just thought, yeah, a catering. Yeah, but if it had been if it had been a, a, a half decent day, you'd have been fine. Yeah, I think yeah. It, I think the weather. Not to, spoiler alert, by the way, for anyone who hasn't listened yet. Um, it was a bloody spoiler. The weather yeah. tipped it just too far from being acceptable. Oh, it was it was awful. It was if it you're was wet just... inside the car, that's never good. I think I was I wet in places this. I've never been wet before. <laughs> That's how bad it was. But no, I mean, I, I like to do road trips with a challenge, really. So I think um, from if if you said anything you can reveal, I would say look out for road trips with a bit of a challenge theme to them or something that's not necessarily too easy. Excellent. Something something that's... Um, there's, a, there's a couple of things I've got lined up that are going to be quite flash, I think. And um, I hope that... That's that's more me because I have a I have a big belief in um in trying to promote British, um British products and and show off what we do so well in this country. So, um the catering chip was you know part of my philosophy on that, and you'll be able to read a bit about that when when it comes out in the sorting magazine later this year. But, um, yeah, road trips the challenge are just more interesting than um you know just borrowing a press car for a week and driving it round. For me, that's just not good enough. I think if you're going to borrow someone's car. You should do something with it that is interesting. So if I ever get cars on loan, I'm trying to do something interesting and something that people can get behind or something that people can can root for a little bit as well as um, talk about the car. Because I just think it's important to keep people interested and, you know, do something cool. We have such a cool job, you know, so let's do something cool. I think it's an excellent, excellent philosophy. Um, and it's it's something uh, we on the Metroid podcast have uh, have talked about but not yet come up with anything suitable i mean i test cars because i put my children in it so they get tested my god they get tested but Absolutely. it's not necessarily cool <laughs> um, it's, it's... but but yeah doing things like the Lands End to John O'Groats in a car that you know you are making a lot of compromises to do is is just great because that's just that's clearly um, silly and fun. Yeah. It should have been more fun yeah. if the weather hadn't been biblical. And um, one time to Frank was the same as well. We had, we had again, we had a- amazingly bad weather on that trip as well. And um, before we did that, we Honda had to send us messages saying, okay, if this light comes on, you need to stop driving because if you keep driving, the engine will 
you know, destroy itself because it's not meant to run on nothing. Um, so, you know, we, and the one tank to Frank was a kind of safe gamble because we knew that in theory it was inside the distance of the tank. So we should have something left. Um, but we were helped out enormously by the fact we had to drive so slowly because of the weather. So, you know, it might have been even closer than it was in the end, but, um, you know, guys like Honda were really supportive of that idea and said, you know what, let's, let's do it. And, um, you know, just please don't break the car. Yeah. But, um, you know, the things, I mean, I crashed the Caterham. I don't think anyone knows that, but, um, this is, this can be a motoring podcast exclusive, but, um, I had a test test week with the Caterham, um, where I took it away for a week, got used to it. Um, just got some stock pictures taken, that kind of thing. And, um, I'd been driving for three hours from Crawley. And I just got onto the M4. Yeah, the M25 was packed that day. And I was I was overheating. The car was overheating. The car was running at about 110 at that point. And in a catering, that starts to cook your legs. <laughs> I was absolutely sweating. I was sunburned. I was really upset. And I was trying to look around and um, see what I could do to keep the, the engine cool and stuff. And then before I knew it, I'd hit someone in the back at about five mile an hour. And um, so we had to pull over. and. Um, we exchanged details and stuff. I said, look, I'm really sorry. I'm just an idiot. I'm driving this stupid car on a day and on a road. I shouldn't be driving it on. Um, and I didn't leave a single mark on this, this chap's Mazda three, two, three, I think it was. And not a single mark. I think maybe there was a slight, um, sort of scratchy mark on his, on his bumper, but I'd, I'd shattered the front nose of the catering, um, around the joints. And, um, to the point where it, it was kind of hanging off a bit. Um, so I had to make an emergency pit stop at Benny Pierce's house, um, as he returned home from football. So he could, um, help me gaffer tape the catering. Um, <laughs> and, um, later that night, I also ran out of petrol because we found out the petrol gauge wasn't working. Oh no. So it was, it was a horrendous journey back and it, it took about 10 hours to get back from London that day, including two trips in a you know, breakdown van. But so, yeah, I mean, th- things, things happen basically. I've, I've wrecked a catering. It cost them some, some money, but I, I bought all the guys at the, uh, at the base, uh, a load of Devon beer to make up for it. So I just tried to be as apologetic as I could. And you know, at least I didn't rip a wheel off or something. It was just one of those things. Yeah. You know? Cosmetic fortunate. There's, so, yeah, risks are always involved. And there was plenty of occasions where we could have been killed in the lands into John Gross. And I mean that sincerely. There was a couple of points where we genuinely nearly got killed. But, you know, the car came back in one piece, so everything's fine. Mm. That's the main thing. Excellent. Excellent. We didn't, but the car did. <laughs> yes, you were broken men. but <laughs> I still am. I still am. Mentally and physically still wrecked. Well, before I finish up completely here, um, if people want to follow you or get in touch, what would be the best way to do that? Um, well, I'd say sexy Latin women can call me on my phone number. <laughs> um, but the people who just want to talk about cars can just follow me on Twitter. Um, so at the Johnny Edge, Johnny with no H, because I've got a different version of Jonathan, my, uh, my full name. Um, so yeah, at the Johnny Edge, at Smooth Traffic on Twitter. Um, yeah, if you want to email me, you can email me. My email's on my Twitter account, so if you want to drop me an email and just tell me what pillock I am for, you know, being so down on horses, then then feel free. It'll give me a give me a bit of a chuckle. <laughs> well, thank you very much for coming on here. Uh, well, thanks I've, for I've had a great time, and I, I could happily uh, chat on and on into the night, but <laughs> I think we we may need to get to bed at some point. Um, yeah, so thank, thank you very much for coming on here. Um, really appreciate it, and hopefully I'll get to catch up with you soon in person. 
Yeah, oh no, definitely. We'll we'll find an excuse to meet up at some point, definitely. But no, thank you very much for having me and um, you know, keep up the great work with the Motoring podcast and uh, you know, just just keep rocking on. Thank you. Just much. do it. No, oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Cool. <laughs> Speak to you again soon then. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Take care. Thanks once again to Johnny for coming on Rearview and chatting to me. I hope all of you listening enjoyed that as much as I did. In the show notes, you will see links to Johnny's Twitter handle, as well as to Smooth Traffic website and the podcast. If you want to suggest someone who you think we should talk to on this show, please get in touch. If you use the hashtag, RearViewPod will be guaranteed to see it in Motoring Podcast Towers. As this is a new show, we would really appreciate you rating and reviewing us on iTunes, or whichever podcast app or player that you use. This will help make us more visible to those who are trying to find interesting podcasts. And it only takes you a few moments, and it means a lot to the show. So if you do, thank you very much. Between now and next time, you can give me any feedback and share your thoughts on the show via at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, or via our Facebook page, or on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com, which is the hub of all our activities. Don't forget, use the hashtag ReviewPod, though. To get in touch with me directly, though, search for Crack Windscreen on Twitter. That's the best place to find me. If you want to keep up to date with motoring news and opinions, go try out our sister show, if you don't already, called The Motoring Podcast. So until next time, that was Johnny Edge, I've been Andrew Clues, and safe motoring.